The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Brian, the deadly hands of podcasting car. Uh, this week, uh, as we often do, we're going to take a moment to step back and appreciate and discuss and analyze the latest entry into the now enormous Marvel Cinematic Universe monoculture, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And I thought, uh, you know, it's a special movie, let's do something special, uh, and to, so this week we have a very, very special guest, someone who's very, very near and dear to my heart, my wife, Peng Yang, um, someone who, uh, she grew up with martial arts movies, has a lot of thought and insight uh, into, um, you know, seeing yourself or not seeing yourself in the broader culture, in the media more specifically, and uh, we had some really interesting conversations after seeing the movie and decided we should probably just turn this into a podcast. We've been looking for an excuse to try to do that for a long time now. So Shang-Chi provided it. And uh, this week's episode is all about Shang-Chi uh, and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the new Marvel Studios film. Now, just as a quick note, there's really no way to talk about why this movie is interesting and what makes it significant without spoiling large parts of it. And obviously a lot of folks out there might not have felt comfortable to go to the theaters to see it yet. Disney has not put it on Disney Plus um, and won't for another 45 days at least. So uh, just be aware that there are going to be some spoilers. We are not going to be giving you a whole lot of advanced warning on that. Um, but uh, otherwise, if you have seen the movie or don't particularly mind if you're spoiled, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Serious Fun about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. talking about Shang-Chi. Are you excited? Yes. <laughs> I like the enthusiasm, the very robotic, yes, I am excited. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I'm here uh, with uh, someone very, very near and dear to my heart, someone very special to me. Okay, one, two, three, my wife! <laughs> Peng Yang. Hi! Hello, husband. This, hello. this is uh, Peng Yang. Uh, we have been married for, let's, okay, I'm going to do this on the air, but it's uh, it'll be coming up on uh, seven years this December. So we're over six years for sure now. But how long have we been together? We've been together since 2003. So that will be, you know, 18 years coming up. But how long have we known each other? We've known each other since middle school. Uh, so really, we have been a, a presence in each other's lives for like half our lives or more which is which is really interesting when you say it out loud like that it is doesn't it sound exhausting <laughs> well i don't think it's exhausting <laughs> um but uh yeah so I, I you know we went to go see shang chi um the uh, and the legend of the ten rings uh over the weekend and you know, we had some interesting conversations this is something that uh, we thought was worth braving the theaters uh, for so we masked up found a mostly empty theater and we saw it and uh um i, I want to talk about what this movie is and why it's relevant and why it matters but i and, and i think especially because it's something you and i talk about a lot when mm -hmm. microphones aren't around 
um, is this idea of representation in media. So I guess maybe the, the best place to start before, you know, we get into the movie proper, um, like, let's, let's start off. Did you like it? Um, was this something that you enjoyed? I did very much. I can't wait for it to come to streaming on Monday, October 18th, Yeah. so that more people can see it. Yeah, we'll probably also end up getting this on disc because we're completionist hoarders. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, one of the things that you told me about a lot, you know, growing up, you were, uh, you, you grew up on a pretty steady diet of martial arts films, right? Yes. Um, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, and then you're also telling me that there's the real good stuff that overseas. Yeah, most of the people who are listening to this have probably never heard of, right? Yeah, you're not, you weren't going to find these uh, VHS tapes, these uh, films in a blockbuster or family video. You could find them in uh, the primarily the Asian stores mm-hmm. that um, imported them from overseas, or if your aunties or your family went overseas and. Um, brought movies back. Mm-hmm. That's how you saw these films. Now, growing up, obviously, you know, uh, because we went to the same high school and all that, I'm, I'm familiar and with middle the, school. Mid, and middle school. <laughs> I'm familiar with the area you're from. And, uh, you know, we did the math one time and we, we looked at the population breakdown and the Asian population of that town was basically your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what was that like, you know, especially like growing up in kind of a sea of white faces to kind of have this sort of, you know, and, and seeing that in the media as well. What was it like to kind of have this like specific area that was that spoke more to your experience? It was very important. Now, are you asking in terms of this movie or in terms of having these films? Well, like back out? in the, like the films, we'll get to, we'll get to Shang Chi in a moment. But I'm interested in like kind of just you know one of the things I'm always fascinated by is like media diets, right? Like when you what did you grow up watching? How did that influence your tastes? That kind of thing. Um, and also too, like how did you find yourself in the media? Well, we never saw ourselves in the media. I mean, Connie Chung was about it growing up for us. And having those kung fu films, watching those, knowing that there was a whole nother world out there, um, because, you know, a lot of people growing up only think that there's only Hollywood, but there's so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, overseas, there's just just a wide range of different types of films. Um, and what my family enjoyed most just happened to be kung fu films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we watched, you know, the dramas and the love romances, but me and my sisters, we gravitated more towards the kung fu films because they were just fun. They were fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, they were freedom. They were just, you know, just being a badass with these amazing skills. So, you know, you have um, mainly a lot of the movies we watch were um, in the range of, you know, super fu. So you got your kung fu, like the Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. You have your wire fu, like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then you have your super fu, which is, you know, the, the fantastic um, powers and mm-hmm. skills and um, mastery of all types of um, different... Um, you know, clans and everybody meeting up together and showing off their powers. Um, those those were my favorite films. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we got out of Shang-Chi a little bit, especially yes. toward the end. Yes. Oh, did you say there's going to be spoilers? Oh, yes. I should probably point out, <laughs> thank you. Um, and I'll probably say this at the beginning in, in, in the intro, too. There's really no way to talk about what this movie means and represents without spoiling the story. Um, and so I want to be especially cognizant of that fact because a lot of folks might be holding off on seeing it. Obviously, we're still in a pandemic, um, and, and you might not be comfortable for whatever reason. 
Um, we certainly talked about it a lot and kind of agonized over whether we were going to go. We ended up going. Um, but uh, just be warned that we will be talking a lot about the plot and the reveals and the secrets and all the Marvel tie-ins and all that, too. Um, but, uh, yes, this is absolutely... Uh, it starts off kind of as more of that sort of traditional kung fu film in a lot of ways, though there are the fantastical elements, especially early on. Um, but then by the end, it goes completely into the super foo fantasy territory in a way that, frankly, I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, I'm familiar with Shang-Chi from the comics and all mm -hmm. that. And, uh, I, I think it should, we'll, we'll come back to this later, but it feels like in a lot of ways they were kind of doing their own thing with him rather than trying to adapt specific stories or specific backstory or anything like that. Um, and, and I think honestly, in, in a lot of ways, that was probably the right decision, which we can talk about uh, a little bit later on. Um, so, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot, too, is, you know, obviously we have a lot of nieces and nephews. Um, I think 26. We're somewhere around there. And uh, there's not a lot of media out there with kids who look like them or people who look like them. And, and certainly that's that's changed. We see more of that now. Mm -hmm. But I remember, like, our nieces. Um, our were, oldest nieces. Our oldest nieces uh, who are in their, my God. Early 20s. Early 20s. Oh, my God. Um they gravitated toward anything like that they could find. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they would end up watching terrible, terrible movies um, because that was what they had, right? You know, The Legend of Chun-Li, uh, the Street Fighter movie, which as a Street Fighter fan, I'm like, this is not this is not oh, it was a terrible movie. It's a bad movie. It was a terrible movie, but but they the girls loved it so mm -hmm. much because the Chun Li was biracial like them. Mm -hmm. uh, the actress is it Kristen? Kristen Crook, Crook, I believe, and she's um, half Chinese. Yes, right. Yep. So I mean, like she looked like them, mm -hmm. and I really think that's what they loved about the film. Mm -hmm. They didn't care that it was a terrible film with right. a horrible plot mm -hmm. and terrible lines and terrible acting. Mm -hmm. They just loved that there was a powerful uh, woman mm -hmm. that looked like them. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot of research out there that talks about how important that is, right, for um, the psychological development of young kids, especially to see themselves reflected in media, mm -hmm. um, you know, and like, uh, you know, Especially when we talk about like intersectional lines along like race and gender, like we still see a lot of like young girls of color. Like I don't see myself in the media. That has correlation and not. They don't even effects. see themselves in the classroom. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. Their teachers don't look like them. Mm -hmm. um, you know. In many cases, we still have you know not legal segregation, but sort of de facto segregation based on income and all that sort of stuff. So we don't see a lot of diversity in that expense. We certainly don't see a lot of diversity in the curriculum design. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, if if state governments have their way across the country, we're going to see even less. So, you know, the, the media in a lot of ways becomes really important. Would you, would you mm -hmm. say that's, that's accurate? Yeah. Yes. I, I, you know, if they're not going to teach um, in the schools, if, you know, uh, children who spend most of their days, uh, most of their year, inside a classroom, uh, whether that's actually inside a classroom or learning online. And if they're not going to learn this history, mm -hmm. um, but they're going to consume media in other ways through movies, through um, YouTube, TikToks, or maybe the news, music videos, um, they need that representation. Mm -hmm. There's a study that uh, BBC and... Uh 
remember if it's like the Women's Media Council or something. I, I'm going to draw a blank. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this study, but it's really interesting. It came out a couple of years ago talking about this sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, when they would do things like they'd ask kids, like, do you see yourself in the media? And then how do you, and then also like, how, do you, how would you describe yourself as confident or brave or heard? And, you know, across the board, um, kids of color, but especially young girls of color had none of that. Um, they really ranked a lot lower in that sort of self-reporting. Um, and of course, you know, there's all kinds of data that talks about like, you know, positive media portrayals making a difference in kids' self-esteem and, and like, you know, not, you know, like um, limiting some of the impact like assimilation kind of has and the kind of a race and the ethnic identity and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess that kind of brings us to people, people like, okay, I'll get to the, get to the movie was the, you know, like talk about Shang-Chi. And so we will. Um, and so here we come to Shang-Chi. Uh, I don't, I think this movie was supposed to come out originally last year. Certainly they were. I think so. Yeah. Everything got pushed back by a year, uh, because of COVID. Um, and so here we have Shang-Chi. Um, this is a character for those of you who are not familiar with the Marvel comics. Basically, um, this character originally came out of kind of those stereotyped media depictions of the seventies. There was very clearly a response to the martial arts craze. Of that time, Bruce Lee obviously was a huge influence on Shang-Chi and his original uh, incarnation. And so you had um, uh, Jim Starlin and Steve Englehart created the character as sort of like this guy who was like the son of the villainous Fu Manchu, which is kind of like the all-time classic sort of yellow peril stereotype villain. Um, they've now moved away from that, not necessarily because uh, Disney and Marvel are like, oh, hey, you know, we got to do better. It's more that they don't own the rights to Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu is a character that somebody actually owns, and they're like, well, we don't want to bother paying them. So that's really one of the major reasons that they kind of got away from that. Um, but yeah, if you go back and read those original comics, you're going to find very little in common with the movie that we saw over the weekend. Um, so let's talk a bit about it. Um, this is a movie, uh, that starts off, uh, we got Simu Lu from Kim's Convenience. He's Shang-Chi or Sean. He's, pl- he's, uh, valet, he's parking cars. Meanwhile, we get all this, uh, backstory and exposition about this guy named Wenwu. Um, he had these 10 magic rings that he used to basically live forever and lead great armies. He created the 10 rings, which is kind of like this sort of military nation state organization. Um, and if you've paid any attention to movies at all in the past, you kind of know that obviously Shang-Chi is his son and this is going to be a whole thing. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, from the first place, uh, what's, what did you find interesting? Um, like what's like the big thing that stuck out to you about this plot? Because we can go into more detail on what happens later here in a moment, but like what, what sort of hooked you? Like what's the first thing you saw and said, Hey, this is going to be all right. Well, when they do first do the introduction and they go through, you know, the montage of him conquering um, and what um, uh, Shang-Chi's dad uh, was able to do in the thousand years that he's been alive and how he meets his mom. Mm -hmm. So, you know me, um, I think the best stories are love stories. And ultimately, that's what I feel what Shang-Chi is, is uh, a story about love and grief. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's that comes up a lot. I mean, um, you know, the first time we see his father, well, not the first time, but like one of the earliest times we see his father, it flashes forward after, you know, he's been alive for like thousands of years at this point. Flashes forward to 1996, he finds this village, um, and do you remember the name of the village? I probably should have Tao written it. Lao? Tao Lao? Tao okay. So he, they find the village, and uh, he meets this woman who is you know this this is a magic village a magic village right this is through legend yes and so he's spent his entire you know he's been looking for this for a very long time he meets up with this woman and you know she's beautiful she's you know mysterious 
and she also, you know, hands him his ass. Like she she beats him in a fight. But what's interesting about the fight is like it's it's more of a dance, right? It's there's like a, a romantic dance element to this fight between these two very powerful martial arts. Beautifully users. choreographed. Um, and, and and you said like remind you of specific movies that you had watched. Yes. Yep. So a lot of the, um, you know, the kung fu movies we watched, a lot of times there was always that love story. Um, you know, there was rival ninja clans. There's always the, you know, the one female ninja warrior and the male, and they fall in love and they have that um, that fighting, dancing mm-hmm. scene where they learn to mutually respect each other or they one up each other, and that's a lot what it reminded me of, just with the. Um, just just the style a mm-hmm. very flowing mm-hmm. um not um not like fast um not fast movements it's more um and i think that was the style of um shang chi's mother's um fighting anyways it's mm-hmm. just more you know a slower kind of take your time um yeah style yeah, yeah. And, and that becomes important later um mm-hmm. because it's you know very different than when Wu and also different than what shang chi uses because you know uh, he's because when we basically see Shang Chi as his heir apparent, he trains him to become a you know assassin mm-hmm. and uh, you know take his place in the Ten Rings. He also has a sister, Zha Ling, um, who uh, kind of gets left in the shadows because. And, and I want to ask your question, you, uh, you your thoughts on that because the idea of her her arc has a lot to do with kind of being the girl the woman who's left out of a fairly male-oriented society. And I thought, like, what were your thoughts on that? Now, it's a big question, but I know this is something that you, you definitely brought up. Yeah, well, you know, throughout the movie, you see that, um, you know, that Shang-Chi is trained. He's able to learn how to fight. And she is, like, literally ignored as a child. Mm-hmm. She is just in the shadows watching. Um, and she wasn't allowed to learn anything her brother was learning. And so you see that she uh, learns on her own. And I feel that that was, um, in my opinion, you know, a good portrayal of that because a lot of that does happen. Um, I mean, we still have a lot of uh, more traditional cultures where it is the um, men, um, the males, that have that advantage, um, especially when it comes to education. I mean, if you look at... um, you know everything in Afghanistan now that's a pretty um, patriarchal society and um, they have a tradition where some uh, families follow that if they do not have a male heir they allow their daughters to dress um, as boys so that they can work to help the family out or earn an education but as soon as the girls reach puberty um, then they no longer are able to act and live as a boy um, and they give up those privileges um, to follow um, the culture and become a wife. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very um, it's very painful uh, to see that even in a you know uh, a movie in a fiction film uh, because if you haven't lived it yourself. Uh, you 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 just know you just kind of feel that and I think they did a, a good job of showing that because of the um, of the reactions and the uh, path that that can lead to uh, which we see in the movie mm-hmm. now one of the you know one of the critiques also of this film 
you know, along those lines is that they did kind of traffic in some, you know, what could be read as some like stereotypes that we see a lot in, in uh, representations of Asian culture and media, you mm-hmm. know, the kind of distant father figure, the disapproving parent. Um, and also, you know, the the girl kind of being the afterthought. Did you think that maybe like, did it ever kind of like strike you as saying like, well, we've kind of seen this before and it'd be nice to see a different story? Or did you think it was, it was worth telling this particular story? I think it was worth telling this particular story because, um, you know, the whole, you know, big spoiler alert, you know, when uh, they mentioned that um, their mother passed away. uh, And a lot of ways I see this movie is a lot about um, Shang-Chi's dad too um, and the path that he takes Mm -hmm. and his reaction. So you see a lot of the of different, you know, parenting styles. And yes, you know, it's been seen in the media, um, you know, the tiger parenting, a lot of Asian parents um, follow. And it's, uh, it's just a different way of parenting, I would say. I mean, if you're very used to this, uh, more uh, uh, spoiled or nurturing mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kind of th- kind of life where, yeah. <laughs> where you're not, you know, forced to study and right. forced to go to bed early and no TV, yeah. no friends, no nothing. Um, it can it can seem very harsh, you mm-hmm. know, but that's a lot of I mean, that's a lot of a lot of how billions of Asian children yeah, have grown, say, um, grown you, up. You've told me um, some stories. like You know, yeah. so it's not, you know, and I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like it would have been out of place if we showed a warlord who has conquered nations for thousands of years all of a sudden just dote on his children mm-hmm. after um, a woman that he loves and gave up that life of violence for and completely changed, mm-hmm. you know, and you do see that he does. He really did when they were um, truly a family. He changed. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, part of why I say, you know, the movie's about grief and what happens, what can happen to you. Um, so you did see that, um, but they didn't show much of it. No, they didn't show much of it. Hints of it here and there. You see more of, you know, the warlord father. Yeah. Uh, which I, you know, is to be expected considering Wen Wu's, you know, how they written his character. But I didn't find it offensive, mm-hmm. um, mainly because, you know, I see a lot of my, you know, obviously my father very strict, um, my uncle's very strict. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more, you know, my cousins and my, uh, younger male relatives now that have children they're not as strict as their you know parents were um yeah yeah Yeah, so so it felt more authentic then is 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 what you'd say oh yeah Yeah. i mean what would what would you do as Mm -hmm. a you know as a parent you Mm -hmm. you know you shut down like i said i mean he's been alive for a thousand years at least Um, easily yeah or you know or more and all he wanted it was power Mm -hmm. and then when he got it what else is there right Mm -hmm. and then he falls in love and he has two beautiful children and he gives up that life for Mm -hmm. love and then it comes back you know um in the worst way Mm -hmm. and then how do you deal with something like that you go back to what's familiar and what was familiar to him was anger and violence and as a result it just, you know, 
kind of bad parenting. Yeah, well, so I want to talk about that. I mean, we're getting, we're kind of jumping around the plot a little mm-hmm. bit, but I think, you know, we brought this thread up. Let's let's follow it. You know, I want to talk about Tony Lung, um, who plays uh, Wenwu, and just tremendous actor, just absolutely incredible. I think yeah, amazing. he's maybe, you know, I don't know if I fully consider him a villain, but he's certainly the most interesting, if not one of the most interesting antagonists that these movies have had. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that is because Lung is such so good at conveying so much without saying a lot. Um, there are entire scenes. One things I one of the things I loved about this movie is that the fight scenes feel you know there's 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 the CGI and the big spectacle and that kind of stuff you expect, but they feel also like genuine extension of the characters and kind of like a representation of who they are as people and where they are, especially toward the end when um, inevitably Shang Chi and his father must fight. Um, but one of the things that struck me is that you know when you real when they reveal what happened to um, uh, the mother, right? Mm-hmm. She, you know, she goes down fighting. Basically, when Wu's past catches up with her, he's out doing his thing, and then some guys that he had wronged in the past come after her and the kids, and she gives her life defending the kids. And she's, you know, because she's cut off from her power, she's able to take them out, but, you know, she, it comes at the cost of her life. And there's a really, you know, angry scene where when we confronts Shang-Chi about it, he's like, you know, you were there, I had trained you, your mother died, and you did nothing. Like, you watched it happen. It's like, but he was a child. Like, these he's were... like seven. Yeah, these were, you know, yes, yes, he's been trained, but he's not going to be able to take on an army of full-grown men. Um, and so, but what I what I read about that, or when I when I when I saw that scene, the way I read it, and you can tell me if I'm off base, it's not even so much that he's angry at Shang-Chi... He's angry at himself, and he's manifesting that in this sort of... Because that's how he knows how to process it, right? Mm -hmm. Because he is the warlord. He is the trainer, you know, that's teaching this kid to be an assassin. He's the general. He doesn't know how to, like, internalize that stuff properly, so he lashes out at the closest person to him. Yeah, misdirected anger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and holds it in for years because he says this to Shang-Chi as an adult. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is something he had been holding in for a long time. Um, and we find later, you know, that uh, that sh- the reason Shang-Chi was hanging out in America with Aquafina, his friend Katie, um, was that he left. And he left because his dad had sent him to essentially murder the guys that, you know, put up, you know, that killed his, his mom. And, you know, the, the implication at first is that, well, he couldn't go through with it. So he, he didn't want to go back because he couldn't, like, he thought he'd be like a dishonor, um, that he let his dad down. And then we find out he did do it. And that's, and, and that it, it ate at him. Like, I could never look at myself. Like, and, and he felt like he let down his mother more than he lived up to his dad. And that idea of, like, kind of the cyclical anger and, like, grief and, you know, what happens if the whole movie in a lot of ways is like men will you know try to uncover an ancient powerful being and gain all its power than go to rather than go to therapy right like yes. it's like we'll have a gigantic side like kung fu spectacle fight on the side of a mountain rather than talk out our problems mm-hmm. um which is you know that's, that's uh i'm assuming that was intentional i can't imagine that they didn't at least go through their head at some point um so yeah, so that but that is kind of interesting. And so uh, Wenwu becomes, I think, really you know the emotional through line of a lot of this movie. Shang Chi's cool; we like him. Um, Simu Liu is, I think, very very good. I think he's going to become a pretty big star after this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Manger Zhang, who plays the sister Zhao Ling, she's great too. Really came to like her a lot. Um, but he becomes kind of the central thing. And there's another thing you brought up that I want to talk about before we get into the rest of the plot and the 
the marvelness of it all. There's a scene um, when uh, Katie and Shang-Chi and Shaoling all come and hang out at uh, Wenwu's um, you know, fortress, where the Ten Rings are. And they're all having a fairly, you know, <laughs> it's a fairly nice dinner. I'd say it's a civil dinner, but there's an undercurrent that something is kind of going on behind the scenes. And poor Katie's just like walked into this whole situation she knows nothing about. By her own, but by her own volition. By I should point out, she basically insists that she comes along. Um, well, no, they were they were forced. They oh, were, that's right, they were forced. That's right, they were they, they were brought. Yeah, that's right. Choice. Yeah, they were. Dad came after them. Right. Yeah, because there's a whole thing in the Fight Club, which we'll get to in a bit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but uh, the idea that you know they're talking about it, and when we ask the question of, of Katie, what's your Chinese name, and that whole scene where he talks about, uh, like, I'll, I'll let you talk about that, because you had some really good insight in, in kind of what that meant, because that was something you called out specifically as something that felt relevant to you. Well, just in general, you know, in uh, all of the world, names have power, mm-hmm. and um, having knowing your true name um, and going by a nickname uh, is very, very common in American society for those who don't have traditional American names. Um, my name is Pang, and I l- would like to think that growing up, uh, most of the people who met me, I will probably be the only Pang they have ever known or met. You know, you're growing up, and I was the last one named a traditional Hmong name. My younger sisters all were given American names, um, and so uh, that that was a, a little bit um, different too when my parents decided to switch on on that way and rather than naming my sisters um, something more um, traditional uh, you know grew up a lot getting teased and I really like my name um, easy to spell mm-hmm. easy to say mm-hmm. and it rhymes with a lot of things so it rhymes with your last name yeah exactly yeah. so um, but you know there are days when you are tired of the teasing and you just wish you had something more American or something more that you saw um, in the in the in your own classroom mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of Michelle's a lot of Amanda's mm-hmm. a lot of you know Caitlin's mm-hmm. um, that type of thing so that scene just knowing you know where he asks her that and then she tells him and he you know goes on to say why that is important, you know, to know your name, mm-hmm. um, and in a way, you know, never be ashamed of it. Um, and then, you know, he goes on to the big, this pro- another spoiler, um, about what power a name has, mm-hmm. um, and what you can do with a name, um, where he, you know, goes on about the Mandarin, yeah, uh, and stuff. So I, I really saw that as, you know, just so just so important because you know me and my older sisters we grew up in such a small town and um nobody knew how to say our names our names are not that hard to pronounce Mm -hmm. but nobody bothered to learn either um and i'm talking about teachers and principals and superintendents and doctors and just pretty much everybody we met so you just kind of get used to that even when my parents came to this country my father's name is ying um but even people said that's too much. You have to mm-hmm. change it. So he went by Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe is his American name, um, which I don't even know how that works. But from Ying to Joe, it's a big jump. But uh, even to this day, you know that's what um, a lot of the community call mm-hmm. calls yeah. him. Um, you know, some will call him Ying, but some yeah. only know him as Joe. Yeah, you're Joe's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot yeah. of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and so that was that felt really uh, relevant, and I think that part of what makes this movie so interesting is that it took the time to have that conversation, right? And, you know, I, I think this is the product of having a... Uh, I, I can't remember um, if the, the writer of the film is also Asian. I know the director is. Um, and, you know, the people, like, they, they work very closely, like, to make the soundtrack with an Asian artist collective and that kind of thing. So it felt like they took the time to make it more culturally authentic rather than kind of trafficking stereotypes, which is kind of interesting because Shang-Chi started as a stereotype, and now they're trying to kind of reclaim him and do him uh, and, and make him kind of something different. Um, but I want to talk about that, that Mandarin aspect, because one of the kind of big surprises in the movie... So this is, I think, one of the most standalone Marvel movies in a lot of ways. I think you could show this to somebody who is not terribly familiar, mm -hmm. and they could have a good time. Like, there'd be some stuff where you might have to explain it, but, you know, this is not going to be like... You don't have to know what the Infinity Stones are, you don't have to, like, you know... You don't have to watch all 400 films yeah, this. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Could, you could get through this one pretty easily. And this is the kind of movies they used to make back when all that started. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that does tie. And one of the things that significantly ties into uh, the Marvel Universe more proper is that... Um, so if you think back to Iron Man 3, so we're going to spoil Iron Man 3, too. Um, there is, you know, the big threat is this mysterious kind of... It, 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 culturally and ethnically ambiguous terrorist called the Mandarin, right? Um, so in the original comics, the Mandarin was, like, you know, the full-on Fu Manchu yellow apparel stereotype long claws the the long mustache and the beard and the you know he's got these rings and he's always got kind of like the evil eyebrows and, and they drew him as like just as stereotype as possible he was an iron man villain and so you know he was also pretty much the iron man villain for a long time and iron man of course the character coming out of the vietnam war era and the korean war era like there's a lot of stuff baked into that character that becomes you know super problematic after a while um, and so they decided to finally broach the subject, and the clever thing that movie did, and I, and I saw very few people talking about this at the time, was that it's revealed the Mandarin is just an actor, and the real threat is, uh, I'm drawing a blank on Guy Pierce's name in that movie, um, but it's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an arms dealer. He's a white arms dealer trying to sell his weapons to the highest bidder, and so they basically create a terrorist and appropriate you know, all this iconography and this cultural imagery essentially to scare middle America, to scare the Washington, D.C. And, and white people mm -hmm. just more broadly. Um, and this in this movie, you know, it, it's real that uh, they stole all that stuff from Wenwu, who is, you know, they think there's like a short story or a short film they did that bridged this gap where, you know, they uh, find the guy, the actor, Trevor Slattery, played by Ben Kingsley, who just has a ton of fun in this. Um, and basically say, like, hey, the real guy that you stole all that stuff from knows about you and he's not happy. And so now we find out where what happened to him. Ren Wu's been keeping him prisoner. <laughs> and he's, like, been locked in this basement. And uh, he was they were going to kill him, but he just started doing, like, this Shakespearean monologue. And they thought it was so funny. Macbeth. <laughs> Macbeth. They, so they just kept him around. It was basically, like, um, was it? Katie calls him a jester. Yes, that's you're right. Yes, yeah, like, you're a jester. Um, and so we finally, and, but what's interesting is that, you know, in his own way, this this also, like, uh, it's, it's a good character moment, but also kind of closes the loop and really spells out what they were trying to do in that story. And so I like that, you know, and, and when Wu makes the joke, it's or like, it's not a joke, it's like, they, they took this, like, you know, they took our culture, they took our heritage and created this monster and named him after a chicken dish, right? Mm -hmm. They named him after an orange. Um, and it is, in, in many ways, it's a sort of a meta-commentary on kind of just the, you know... Uh, or, others. Yeah, the othering, the orientalism that kind of creeps through a lot of media, especially through a lot of the early superhero comics media. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, any thoughts on that? But I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was. I just like the line where, you know, he ends it with saying, like, uh, 
and I'm paraphrasing here, um, but he talks about how, you know, America was in such fear of an orange. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it, it's, 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 a great, it's a great moment. And, and, uh, and I mean, that's all you need, right? Mm-hmm. That's all you need. And we see it very much so in the mm-hmm. last year. I mean, with the yeah. pandemic, the mm-hmm. coronavirus, I don't know whether they intentionally wrote that um, or if it's just a theme that just is constant. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, with the rise of hate crimes against um, Asian Americans and Asian um, Asian elders, um, you know, you just need that hint of fear yeah. for uh, fear to take over and for anger to take over. Right. And, and, you know, we see there's certainly a lot of political hay to be made out of finding somebody to blame everything on, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, because it came out of China, we start calling it the China flu. And the, but we the, did. The, well, no, we, we didn't. Did. I would never. Um, and then, or the Wuhan virus or whatever. And it becomes like a talking point. Like there are cable networks devoted to spreading this. And, you know, it becomes kind of the way a certain stripe of political class talks about it. And the whole reason is to stoke that fear of the other. Right. And so, you know, all that stuff like this film feels very timely in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. we don't know, you know, like Marvel always writes their stuff out years in advance. Like there's a similar line in Black Panther. He talks about like, you know, um, in times of crisis, the wise people build bridges while fools build barriers. And people like that's that's about Donald Trump. It's like, well, we wrote that well before all Mm -hmm. that happened. But, you know, it takes on that. You know, it's a constant. Yeah, it's a constant. There's always going to be that sort of relevance. Like there's always going to be that othering and that Orientalism that creeps in. Um, but, uh, and, and it's very interesting that, you know, through the, the arc and we see what happened to Trevor is that he sort of recognizes that, like he realizes like, oh man, like in his own kind of loopy sort of self-absorbed actor way, he re- like, he feels very bad about, about that. And in many ways, it's almost like, um, I saw some article suggest that it's almost like an apology for how Marvel for many, many years had treated, you know, Asian people and people of color more broadly, but especially Asian people, especially like, like, you know, the ancient one, Dr. Strange and kind of the Oriental Orientalism there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is almost like them saying, "We get it, and we're very sorry. We're going to try to do better in the future because you know." And then you know, it's like a redemption story almost. Um, and of course, you just get Ben Kingsley being weird, which is always <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah, and he was a delight in this. He's movie. so much fun, and uh, they give him a pal. Um, the little <gasps> yes, you're okay. So you're really excited. We got to talk about Morris. Morris is a, um, uh, I think, a Dijon or a Hundun, depending on which. Uh, version of the 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 uh, folklore you're looking at but you know he's this creature that has basically been living with uh trevor in this basement and he thought it was a hallucination until everybody else shows up and like oh you can see him too thank god like, yeah um and, and the, the and, you know it's it's cute it's marketable we have the little plush because we got it for on clearance at target it's great um, but also it feels like kind of you know this is sort of a spiritual connection between you know uh, Shanchi's mother's homeland and kind of the and I don't know uh, they, they said that one who kind of found it and just sort of kept it well he was on they said like uh, one of his um, missions or whatever yeah and he just he stole him from his home mm-hmm. and just you know <laughs> took him mm-hmm. back to a dungeon yeah and so, so sad it's so a lot of it's trying <laughs> to get him back home and there's like a really fun action Be- scene where they're yeah because Trevor and and, uh, and his name is Morris so is Morris. Trevor and Morris have a connection and Trevor can actually understand him mm-hmm. nobody else can and he asks them can you take me home and it's just so it's just so sad. This movie has a lot of things in it, but I always have a soft spot for creatures. Yeah. Um, you know, because he knows who Shang-Chi is. Mm-hmm. He knows who um, his sister is. He knows that they have the 
they have the you know the skills the power to bring them back home mm-hmm. And, and, and also have the heart. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're trustworthy. These are good people that will help. Um, and, and so I want to talk real quickly, um, you know, kind of jumping back a little bit. You know, the other kind of big tie into the Marvel stuff is we see uh, Wong, uh, Doctor Strange's, um, you know, comp- compatriot partner, whatever you want to call him, um, who in his own way is also reclamation of a uh, very unfortunate uh, Orientalist stereotype uh, where... In the original comics, Wong was uh, Doctor Strange's manservant. Mm-hmm. And in recent years, they've kind of tried to make more equal partners. In the films, they are 110% equal partners. And Wong, in fact, probably knows more than Doctor Strange. He's just not the Sorcerer Supreme, um, which is a whole other issue. But anyway, um, so we get to see him. And he's fighting the Abomination in this uh, secret fight palace that Zhao Ling is running. And so it's kind of, and, and then like, you know, it turns out that they basically have been working the fights and like, I think like he's like, like basically it seems like it's like a rehabilitation program for the abomination um, where he lets him get his aggression out and then just like takes him back to the raft or whatever supervillain prison he's in. But it's kind of nice. Like, it's like, you know, I like the idea of Wong working with the villains and trying to rehabilitate them. That's kind of a nice thing for him to do. Um, and of course he shows up again later in the film too. Uh, but, you know, this idea that Zhaoling also creates this empire, she has a line, um, you know, why, like, Katie asked her, like, why did you, you know, you, you left, and then you built this sort of underground fight palace and became, like, very, very wealthy and successful and influential, and her line something like, if my dad wouldn't let me be part of his empire, I had to build my own, and, and, and what did you think of that? Because that kind of sums up a lot of her journey as we see throughout the film. Yeah, so, um, like I mentioned earlier, um... Some parenting techniques will lead you on a different path, and that's the path that she chose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think um, if he was a more nurturing father or um, not as traditionalist and allowed her to study with her brother and to also learn how to fight. Um, but then, I mean, he'd probably also have her as an assassin. But, uh, you know, uh, her future may have been different, may have been the same. Um but that taking that independence, taking that on her own, because you learn too in the film that she also ran away mm-hmm. um, years and years after waiting for her brother. And when she finally realized her brother wasn't coming back for her, that she had to do something on her own. And she was on her own um, all this time. Um, so uh, I think that that was a, a very appropriate. There could have been many ways that they wrote her, but they wrote her as a strong, um, clever Um, independent woman who uh, like she said built her own empire um, with what she wanted Mm -hmm. and that happened to be fighting yep and uh, you know again we're jumping ahead like crazy in the movie here but one of the uh, post-credits scenes implies that she's going to be doing just that and potentially could be a ally or a threat we're not really entirely clear what her long-term goal is going to be relative to everybody else um so anyway, they, they uh, end up going back to um, uh, Talao, uh, and they meet Michelle Yeoh, who is, as always, fantastic. She's um, Aquafina in one scene, refer- or Katie refers to her in one scene as a like badass martial arts goddess or something like that, and that's obviously true. Um, and kind of, she teaches Shang-Chi, and I think this is really, really important um, about, you know, her, her role, I think, in the film is that sort of link between Shang-Chi and his mother that he hadn't had since he was very, very young, right? This is his mother's sister. She identifies herself as her auntie, 
which I understand is also a very traditional kind of way in a lot of Asian cultures to, mm-hmm. you know, you're not your aunt, you're aunties. Yeah. Right? Everybody has aunties, multiple mm-hmm. aunties. I have more aunties than I can count. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Don't, didn't we one day sit down and try to figure out how much my family is? And we were we, like, at 300, we yeah, couldn't we count. We <laughs> yeah. And that's also not kind of like, we're assuming that most of like, is it blood relation or is it just sort of familial yeah. Well, closeness? I mean, when you have, when you come from large families, like my dad's from family of like 10 plus, my mom's family of 10 plus, and then each of my aunties and uncles have, you know, more than five kids each. And, yeah. Well, you know, the math, it adds up. It yeah, adds up. very quickly. But yeah. So you get a lot of aunties, and that's, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, and so Michelle Yeoh is Shang-Chi and Zhao Ling's uh, auntie, and mm-hmm. shows them a lot, and, you know, kind of tells them more about what was going on, and reveals that, um, you know, because when we basically said, look, you know, I hear your mother, we're gonna, I'm gonna go back to the village and find her, you know, we're gonna be a family again. Like, that's really what he wants. He wants his wife back. Like, he's still grieving so much that he thinks, if I go there, they're keeping her from me. If I defeat, if I destroy them, if I burn this place down, I can have her back. Of course, and then Michelle Leo's like, yeah, no, that's not what's happening. It's the dweller in darkness. It's this ancient evil. It's speaking to him because it wants out. And it knows he has the power with right. the Ten Rings to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's they're manipulating now... manipulating Yeah, and so now they're now in a position, like, obviously we're gonna we're building toward the big final battle where they have to defend the village. And so Shang-Chi and, his, and, and Zhao Ling, kind of, they get, like, their, their mother had made special dragon scale armor for them. You know, the, 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 the spiritual connection to dragons, the importance of dragons in Chinese and Asian folklore becomes a really, really big... And, and just the belief structure in general becomes really, really important to this part. Um... And of course, Katie, who's kind of been going through the whole movie, like she's a good driver, which is also, um, what did you think of that? Like her being like the best driver, uh, stopping a runaway bus and like driving through this magic forest and all that felt like kind of a repudiation of a stereotype in a lot of ways. Like, did you, did you, uh, did you notice that? Or did you think about that? Well, I just thought, you know, um, she likes cars and yeah. she knows how to drive. Yeah. So. She got them a uh, very important character. She saved a lot of people, got yeah. them out of a lot of uh, a lot of bad situations. But yeah, you know uh, the stereotype. Um, are you referring to is that Asian drivers are bad drivers? Yeah, and specifically Asian and sp- women, and specifically Asian females. Yeah. So I never really got that. Um, I saw people pointing that out, so I thought I would yeah. ask you about that because it felt like a thing they wouldn't have done on accident. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so and, and she's great in this movie. Aquafina is fantastic. I think mm-hmm. this is uh, a, a great performance. For, and she's you know she's a solid actress in general. Um, but uh, so but she's also kind of just like she's in her twenties. We we try to figure out exactly how old they are, and we the best we could come up with is like mid twenties. Um, and so she's been trying to like her parents are kind of like, when are you gonna like find a real job instead of parking cars? Her brother's you know kind of she has a she it. has a very. Uh you know she has a very prestigious degree yeah from berkeley um but you know she just hasn't found what she um wants in life yet Mm -hmm. you know and that's something you know um i wouldn't wouldn't say like um you know because she's living at home but a lot of in a lot of uh, asian cultures you know adult children just live at home that's just how it is so Mm -hmm. that's not something like more uh, negative but they're Mm -hmm. just you know asking like when are you gonna find 
Um, yeah. Your life. Like, mm-hmm. when are you going to grow up? And that's mentioned, too, when they meet with their friends mm-hmm. um, in the in the bar. And yeah. they're just like, well, that's, you know, all fine when we were in high school, but we're not in high school anymore. Yeah. And you guys are still doing the same thing. Yeah, her friend's like a lawyer yeah. and she's married to another lawyer or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it is that kind of, like, that pressure to sort of, like, you got to figure out, you got to be productive right away. You got to do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and her arc kind of comes to a point where it's like, okay... They're going to like, well, we don't know what to do with her. So one of the village elders goes to one of the other village elders and says, hey, you teach her how to you to shoot. You teach her how to use an, a bow and arrow. And she gets really good at it because, like, it's one of the few times in her life she's really had time and support to really dedicate a lot of effort on one thing. And there's that really lovely line um, that uh, the elder has with her. Uh, you know, if you, if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing or something like mm-hmm. that. And so it kind of, like, gives her the... Um, you know, direction that she hasn't had before. So she gets her bow and arrow and her dragon scale equipment and all that. Um, and she ends up becoming really, really important later. Uh, so anyway, Wenwu shows up, brings his army, brings Razor Fist, the guy with the sword for a hand. But there's one point that I want to oh, mention yes, before you get there. Yeah. You say when, um, there, uh, when Shang-Chi is, uh, you know, they're preparing and mm-hmm. he goes to his auntie and he says, you know, my mother is the only one who's ever been able to beat him teach me yeah. how mm-hmm. to fight like her because she had a different style mm-hmm. and so when they're um when they're you know fighting and she's uh you know teaching him um how to move and stuff that that comes back to you know like he has a different different style of fighting very fast very um you know a lot of a lot of punches whereas their style of fighting uh, they mentioned it earlier in the movie it's like a uh, what do they say? It's like a kung fu for the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like, you know, it's very, it's a very different style, mm-hmm. and and you see it, you see it in that scene um, when you're first introduced to his parents, and you see it in the scene when he's um, learning from his auntie, and um, and once again, it's another very beautiful scene, and you can just see him getting it, you can just see him understanding that, um, and making that connection, you know, with his mother. Um, all through that fighting style yeah. because you know that is the that is the the point is that his mother was the only one ever to defeat his dad in a in a fight mm-hmm. and he knows that he's not going to be able to do that a lot of it because you know maybe his fighting style is from anger uh, mm-hmm. maybe because he's forced to do it um this whole situation you know i mean how many people want to you know fight their father uh so yeah uh just you know, just just understanding, having that understanding, and having that taking that time. I think that scene is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is, and also too, um, you know, the it's very sort of that communal with the elements and nature, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of not so much being the aggressor, but turning somebody else's mm-hmm. someone else's energy against them. There's mm-hmm. like that sort of almost like judo principle to it. Um, yeah, and, and that becomes really important because that's ultimately like when we get to the point where uh, Wenmu makes it to the uh, big gate where he believes that the voice is coming from. Of course, it's the Dweller in Darkness, a very deep-cut Marvel villain that even I've... I've I've wasted a lot of my life and time on this stuff, and I was not even familiar with the Dweller in Darkness. Um, We had to look... You told me he was a Doctor Strange villain, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, so that's where the... And and so he's just like, hey, you know, man, come on, open the gate. And, you know, they're sending out the other little soul suckers to try to bring souls to power the 
uh, thing up. So we have like now we have a fight. We have antagonists. You know, um, Wenwu's guys and the village the, uh, defenders. They have to team up to try and stop it because their weapons are useless. And so and they they're give, dropping on both sides. Yep, and they're and, just yeah. It's really funny. There's like this guy called the Death Dealer. He's like um, this. He's wearing like blue. He's got this cool face paint. And he's like this this persistent you know, threat, like, one of the most dangerous martial artists that works for the Ten Rings. Trains Shang-Chi. Trains Shang-Chi. Very harshly. And, you're, and like, you're, you're set up for, the, like, this big fight and all that, and then one of them just, like, grabs him and eats him, just, like, drops him. He gets the Boba Fett death. Like, it's played for laughs. Like, he's a cool-looking guy who's very dangerous, mysterious, who just dies because it's funny. Um, but uh, this... And so, anyway, um, so when we're trying to break down the, the gate and Shang-Chi shows up, and basically he's trying to tell him, like, you know, that's not mother. That's, you know, like, there's this whole conversation they have. Um, and Wenwu was just having none of it. Like, he's basically said, like, you know, he's going to break this gate down. And if his son makes it to see his mother, so be it. But if not, he's not going to let that let, let that get in the way, right? Yeah, and so, I mean, there's just so, there's so much to this movie. It's mm -hmm. such a great movie. I mean, everybody should see it if they get a chance, but there's just so many different things. And one of the things, too, that Wu mentions is that when he asked to marry um, his wife, mm -hmm. the village said no. Mm -hmm. They didn't think he was good enough. They didn't allow him to live with them in their village. They basically disowned her, and she left, and then you learn later on that she lost her power, um, and that was, you know, a choice she made to have a life with him. And I think, too, he's he's angry about that um, when he confronts the villagers and they tell him to leave. Um, and they tell him that he w is just not good enough. Like, he was just not good enough for them. Um, and he was just a danger to them. Uh, and then, you know, this that, that dweller, that evil creature feeding on that, uh, manipulating him... Um, you know, making him think that they were keeping, you know, uh, his wife apart and stuff. It's just, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of grief. It's very intense um, to see. So I think, you know, too, like why he's so determined to go to the village um, to get there is also very dangerous mm -hmm. um, and to risk all of that, uh, you know, for someone that he loves. Mm -hmm. And then you learn too. The history, you know, why he just doesn't like this village, why mm -hmm. he's willing to risk all of this and burn it down. Um, he was not accepted. Yeah. So it's personal on a lot of levels for him. It's not even mm -hmm. a tactical decision. Like he's, I don't even think he's like, he's not really even trying to like conquer the world mm -hmm. or gain like immense power or anything like that. He just wants his wife back. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's really what makes him so interesting, I think, as a as a person. Like his his understand his vil his motivation is understandable. Because so often it's just like, okay, villain wants to destroy the world or make an arms deal or erase half the life on on Earth because he's a apparently he's like a freshman philosophy major and he's writing an edgy term paper. Um, but uh, when it was just it's it's you know it's grief and you know Shang Chi's like I see where this is going. We know what's like what's going on, and so they fight. And of course, it's it's a it's a solid fight. It's a good spectacle. Um, but what's interesting about it is that you know the Ten Rings kind of become like a major part of it, and like Shang Chi sort of gradually gets control over them, and they come to him kind of because he has sort of won them from his dad. Um, and, you know, like, there's a point where the Dweller in Darkness is going to come after Shang-Chi, but Wenwu, like, jumps in the way and essentially sacrifices himself to save it. And there's no big tearful speech or anything. They just look at each other, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, again, one of those things where it's like you're letting the, the actors do the, the work. 
And Tony Long is historically famous for being an actor who does who can say a million things just with a look, right? His mm-hmm. eyes are a huge part of who he is. And, like, you see him basically gradually having the life squeezed out of him by this otherworldly creature. And, like, you know, all, you see that I am sorry, I, I didn't realize what was this, you know, and, and I wish things had gone differently, but I'm going to let, like, I want you to live and I want you to, you know... <laughs> Our cat is demanding to know where we are. Um, uh, you know, like, I want to make this right the only way I can at this moment. And so then we get a scene where, of course, if we forgot to mention the the Ancient Guardian, um, with who's another really cool dragon that rescues Shang-Chi from the water after his dad, like, just socks him in the gut. Yeah, and just like, I don't know how you great, survive a punch like are, that when some, he's not meta no, and he's not... It's that armor. It's that, that armor he's got. Um, and there's some great punches in this movie like the the fight scenes are a cut above like mm-hmm. they actually put the camera on the actors and let them do the work and Simu Liu did not have a real like a lot of martial arts background he does pretty well I mean he's not gonna be a Bruce Lee or a Jackie Chan or a Sammo Hung or anybody like that but he does quite well um and they, and they wisely also put a lot of people around him who really know what they're doing uh but you know there's this kind of thing where, um, again, the fight scenes become part of who these characters are and, and, and really an extension of them. And so, um, you know, we get, like, when, when Shang-Chi kind of reveals himself that I'm not really Sean, I'm Shang-Chi, it's when, uh, at the beginning, before the really sick bus fight, um, Katie is put in danger. Like, they, these guys are coming after him. He's trying to play off, like, I'm not who you're coming after. They knock her down, and then, you know, like, he punches one of them really really hard and then like the bass drops out and the soundtrack changes and it's like okay now we're in a different world his dad does the same thing to him and kind of changes that dynamic too that's when the guardian shows up gives him his uh their power and helps uh shang chi and xiao ling defeat the dweller in darkness and basically again um using and, and you and you certainly have watched a lot of these films there's something i think really significant and kind of homage uh uh homaging about the way that he does it like he's kind of like up in the air and he's like summoning the rings and like there he's kind of like you know using the same sort of hand movements and things that his mother did and basically like tearing up the devil in darkness from oh, the inside yeah. it's pretty brutal actually yeah. it's all very colorful and bright but it's 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 implied some bad things are happening yeah they're not coming back no that. no no um and and i'm thinking like uh the one that reminded me of and there's multiple references to this um in in kung fu hustle um at the end of oh. Kung Fu Hustle, where he's fighting the beast and he's like floating in the air and like brings the Buddha palm down on him. Yeah, he finds that piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then a, a spoiler alert: a little bit of a, a little extra fun. When you first see uh, Shang Chi's room, you see a Kung Fu Hustle poster. Yep. So that means that that movie exists in the yep. Marvel universe, which means that. And wasn't one of the <laughs> actors from Kung Fu Hustle in this movie too? The uh, landlord. Yes, he's he's, he's Wang Bo. He's, he's the the, uh, the general guy at the. Of the village yeah he's the one who didn't want katie to <laughs> learn because he but then, but en- ends up it. like uh yeah giving her because she ultimately is the one who um gives them the opportunity to take down the dweller in darkness by you know doing her best bard the bowman and like shooting uh mm-hmm. you know uh doing that one in a million shot of course let's be, it's a huge creature it's a, it's a huge target like you know but still 
for like her second day being an yep, archer. Yeah. It's a pretty impressive achievement. Yep. Um, but yeah, so there's a bunch of that kind of stuff. And of course, um, my understanding is there's an article that GQ did with Tony uh, interviewing Tony Lung and Stephen Chow, I believe, in the article, um, who was the writer and star and director of Kung Fu Hustle. Another movie you absolutely have you to have see. You have to see it. If yeah. you if you don't if you don't watch it, please do. It is a beautiful movie. One of the best martial arts movies maybe i would say ever like possibly would you agree yeah like ever it's just it's just so fun it's just yeah. so fun and and definitely like you can and there's so there's anyway so Stephen chow apparently was the one that got tony lung into acting they were both young guys in hong kong they both kind of came up through that that space um so that's you know we love kung fu hustle in this household so it's kind of nice to have those little homages we watch it like once a year at, at least once a year <laughs> yep you wrote one of your final uh, papers <laughs> yeah. in your undergrad on it. Well, actually, I didn't have to turn in a final. My professor loved the loved my draft so much, just gave me an A. Yep. Thank you, Dr. J. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Kenyurkevich, if you're listening, we love you, man. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and so, anyway, the Dweller in Darkness is defeated, um, you know, uh, the the village is safe, um, there's a lot the of... The dragon slow blinks at Shang-Chi. Very so. important, you know, very <laughs> cat-like moment where he's like, like, you know what, you and me, buddy, I'm gonna get you out of the water, you're cool with me, let's let's do this, let's take this guy out, I, I, that Dweller in Darkness, I don't like that guy, let's get this done. Because um, it's implied that the dragon's pretty much one of the things keeping, you know, the gate and also the dragon have been keeping him at bay, and so that's what wakes up the dragon. Um... But, uh, and, and, and I also believe, you know, we don't really know what happens to Trevor in the end. I think he stays there. I think that's a good res- resolution for him. He hangs out with Morris. Morris vouched for him. Um, it's nice. It's cute. I hope that we get some kind of follow-up with him just hanging out with all the creatures. And maybe that becomes, like, he becomes, like, a, you know, uh, zoologist or something like that. Yeah, and they did have a lot of the creatures. It's so, mm-hmm. like, this movie is so fun. Like, I didn't think we were going to be taken to a whole nother, like, literally another world. The village exists in another dimension. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe the movie took all, you know, from the previews and stuff, I thought mm-hmm. it took place completely in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then to see that you're, like, in a whole, you're literally yeah. in a whole nother place, um, I wasn't expecting that. So that was really fun, too. Yeah, they hid that very well. Um, and the creatures are beautiful yep. um, from uh, Chinese uh, folklore. Pretty much yeah every single uh, so, one yeah so that was that was neat too because you know like uh shang chi and his sister they don't even think that this place you know is real you know at first but mm-hmm. then you know their mom obviously came from there mm-hmm. um people didn't believe you know um their dad when he wanted to go look for this because you know it's just legend it's just folklore and stuff and then you see morris and you you learn yeah. that oh yeah it is it's for real it's definitely for real yeah um, and, and, and so, like, one of the... Okay, so there's some takes. Like, I saw someone, I don't remember who wrote this or what, what article website it was on, and it's okay because I want to give them the traffic because this is a stupid take, saying that, like, it's just a bland knockoff of Black Panther. And as someone who, as you know, has spent the better part of two years writing a book about Black Panther, I don't like the fact that we take these movies and try to compare them or, like, say... I think there's parallels, Right, yes, like you know, um, Talao and Wakanda, there are parallels, and you know, uh, but the, the the real world context is so different. Like Wakanda being an isolated African nation that was never colonized has a very different meaning than Talao being sort of a um, you know interdimensional, an interdimensional small yeah, village. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like there's, there's a whole different kind of baggage that comes with these concepts. Um, you know, I think that they both deal with that idea in interesting ways um but you know I, I i don't like people saying like oh this is just black panther it's not they're, they're these are very different movies and shang chi is not the same character 
but it is so we so we we get to the point now in the story where uh, we're wrapping things up uh you know Jialing is supposedly going off and sort of closing the loop on the Ten Rings, like kind of basically putting all her dad's affairs in order because he's dead. Um, the rings are now with Shang-Chi. Uh, he's, and he kind of goes back to his life. Um, he and Katie, they, they meet up with their friends again, and they're telling this whole story of everything that happened. Their friends are like, we, we don't believe a word of this. Like, you guys are like, it's okay if you don't... And this, took, and this took place in like a week. Yes, it's been so. a very busy week for Shang-Chi and Katie. Um, you know, and... Uh, they're having this, okay, we don't believe you, this is all fake. And then, of course, uh, who comes through? We start to see the portal open, like the Doctor Strange portal. Out comes Wong, says, you two got to come with me. We, I have a lot of questions for you. And, of course, they leave. And that's uh, and so, anyway, get to our credit scene. And uh, Wong is looking at the rings, and he's got Kate. It's, it's like a Zoom call, pretty much. Um, my friend uh, uh, and former guest Steve Watts basically said it feels like a superhero Zoom call. Um, which it probably was basically because they saw they could film during COVID. Um, but there's, uh, you know, they're saying, Hey, these rings are very ancient. They're probably older than your dad even thought. Like they're more ancient than any of the stuff that we have. You know, Wong's like, we don't have records on this and we have records on everything. Um, you know, they talked to Bruce Banner, who's not the Hulk anymore, which is interesting. And they were just going to have to wait to find out what the deal is there. His arm's still messed up, but he's not the Hulk anymore. Um, and of course, you see Captain Marvel, who is very busy and does not have time to talk through all this and stuff. And grew her hair out. And grew her hair back out, yeah. um, which I know you were happy about. You didn't like the haircut. But, uh, no. No. She, um, anyway, uh, so it's implied that these rings have some sort of ancient origin, um, and they're calling. Like, there's a signal that, they, that has been sent out. a beacon going on. Yeah, yeah. And so... For um, who knows how long, so. Yeah. And so, you know, the question now is who is... I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You know, we can, we can totally nerd out about what that might potentially be, but... I, you know, I have no idea. I'm yeah. thinking, I'm thinking just because, you know, marketing purposes and, you know, Marvel writers and planning out things years ahead. I think it's some, maybe something to do with the internals. Yeah. The internals is coming out this November. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, if all goes well so, in November. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that would make sense. But who knows? I mean, it could be something I, I saw on the uh, good old internet. Um, people thinking, is it something with uh, Kang? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a time traveler. Yeah, he's pretty he's powerful. Coming. He's formidable. Um, you know, what What could it be? I guess we'll have yeah. to, to wait and see. My favorite theory, just because I am biased and I want to see this character, is that um, people are like, well, if you go back to the comics, which I, mm. which is a thing that I say way too often in my life, um, you know, the, the rings uh, that the Mandarin has originally, they come from the Kluin alien race. Um, and one of them is Fin Fang Foom, the giant dragon in purple pants. So and they're uh, shape-shifting dragon creatures, right? Something that like what? that, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Fin Fang Foom is the most famous one of them. And, you know, classic Iron Man villain, um, a character we haven't seen before. And, of course, Shang-Chi already has associations with, like, the Ancient Protector and dragons and sort of stuff. It's possible. I think that you're probably right, and that the most likely answer is that it's going to be answered in some way in Eternals, but um, or they just don't have an answer yet, and mm-hmm. they just want to put that out there. I mean, like, I think because um, I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't. I, I, James Gunn said he kind of knew who Peter Quill's dad was going to be when they dropped that whole thing that his dad was some ancient being, but I'm not 100 percent convinced that he had finalized that. But yeah, um, and then of course the other big scene is uh, Zhaoling, uh rather than shut down everything as she told her brother. Uh, has decided to just basically make her own army, a new Ten Rings, and it's very important that all of the people, or most of the people you see training, are women. 
Um, and so, you know, and it ends with a scene or a little tag saying the Ten Rings will return. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts? Do you think that um, her intentions are good? Do you think she's going to try to kind of, like, fill the space that her dad filled? Um, what, what were you left with with this kind of surprising turn of events? I, you know, I think she's going to continue building her empire. Mm-hmm. Whether that's on the... How her brother wants it or not. So we already know from her character, I mean, that she's a she's a leader mm-hmm. and she's going to do what she wants. So And we have this kind of common theme um, now where women are kind of going into business for themselves in mm-hmm. this new era of Marvel storytelling. Um, and Falcon and Winter Soldiers revealed that uh, Sharon Carter has basically become the new power broker and is not, you know, for, and, and quite honestly, like, they left her kind of twisting in the wind. So I get why she's decided to basically go into business for herself. And, like, you know, if the heroes have a problem with it, that's going to become a friction down the line. Um, but I find it kind of interesting. I wonder if there might be a way for those two narrative threads to connect in an interesting way and sort of, like, you know... Because I'm thinking, like, if you put those two into business with each other, could anybody really stop them? And that could be a really interesting kind of threat, whether it's for another Shang-Chi movie or what have you. But, um, yeah, really... Uh, leaves everything in an interesting place um, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. So, um, and, and there's a lot more to the movie yeah. that we didn't talk about. Um, you know, like just the, their lives in San Francisco. You get a brief glimpse of how um, Shang-Chi and Katie live. Mm-hmm. They're obviously very close. Even Katie's grandma asks them when they're getting married. and Which um, all feels fairly authentic as well. Yeah, because, you know, and he just says, you know, they're very close friends because that's, you know, that's true. Um, the 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 fighting um, scene when you meet um, where his sister is at. There's a lot of little, um, very quick, uh, if you don't notice it, you're going to miss it, um, characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually had to um, read this because I did miss it the first time um, that you see in some of the rooms where the fights are happening. There's uh, uh, what appears to be like a a Black Widow or a former Black Widow. Mm -hmm. There's, what are those one soldiers called from Iron Man Uh, 3? The the extremist soldiers, yeah. yeah. Which we all thought were gone. Um, So just just really neat, uh, neat little little things like Mm -hmm. that throughout the film. They mention, you know, the blip. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, and also the film takes place in 2023. Yep. So, uh, because it's after after everybody comes back. Um, It's it's just such a fun film. It's Mm -hmm. just... It's, I'm really excited for our uh, nieces and nephews to see it because I know they're just going to love it because of that action. Um, and just the, like I mentioned before, it's a movie about, you know, love and grief and just shows like how everybody processes things differently. Um, yes, it is a, a movie on, in, you know, fiction. None of it is real, but uh, we all know grief is very real. Uh, and it's something that everybody experiences. Um, I felt a lot of tie-ins with if anybody's ever seen Kung Fu Panda um, in the series. Another favorite Another, of yours. Just, I just love, 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 love the movies because, um, especially the second one, um, you know, where it also goes through uh, grief. Um, and it's just a really good... Uh, a good way to start up a conversation with um with children i mm-hmm. think because i mean in this last year alone how many people have lost somebody that they loved um and just to know that everybody reacts differently and that's okay um of course you know we're not all going to wake up an ancient creature um mm-hmm. that will try to destroy the world but um it's not for lack of trying in yeah some cases. you know yeah, yeah. 
Um, but even, you know, I think about myself, you know, uh, you know, you're my ride or die. Yeah. And yeah. Um, said if an ancient creature was speaking to me and told me that I could release you. Yeah, I do that. You know, mm -hmm. I pet cemetery you. Yeah. You know, we yeah. got we got this. We have one. this conversation at least yeah. once a month. Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of bring things back around. Um, you know, we talked about how early on, you know, you didn't see yourself in the media a lot. You kind of mm -hmm. had to hold on to those representations that you had. You had the Kung Fu films, which became a really important part of your childhood as a result. Um, let's say that Shang-Chi and the Marvel Universe and all that sort of thing had come out when you were, let's say, middle school, elementary, somewhere in there. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, what Do you think this would have been like one of your favorite movies? Do you think this would have really become a huge part of kind of your 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 life and your worldview in a lot of ways? I think so, because when Mulan came out, I loved that movie. Mm -hmm. Me and my sisters loved it. Although, That's one of the best Disney movies. Oh, yeah. Although a lot of people thought that my name was the same as uh, her counterpart, Ping, and mm -hmm. um, had to tell people, no, it's literally not spelled the same, mm -hmm. but okay. Yeah, the boys uh, that you babysat thought, like, yeah, you said you looked like Mulan and the whole well, thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, because so, you were the only Asian person they yeah, knew. Yeah, I was the only so, Asian person they knew. And they were also like children. It's, you know, yeah, so, don't um, cancel them. But it was, you know, but even that little small thing that they recognized, they recognized that, you know, um, you know, other characters can look like um, people that don't look like them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that would have been, I don't know if it would have been as big a hit as what it is now, mm -hmm. but I think it would have been the start of something. Like, this is the start of something really big. Mm -hmm. There's always been, you know, this has been written about years and years and years, decades. Um, there's just so much that you can do when you create a world through a movie and a film and then sometimes you just get the same old same old and this is something this is something new this yeah. is the start of something really great and i think that if this would have come out when we were in middle school i would have really um held on to it because i still hang on to mulan mm -hmm. um that came out when we were in middle school so i know that i would have loved it my family would have loved it and they'll probably love it now yeah so yeah uh, well, yeah, I, I think, you know, the more we've talked about this and the more we've gone over it, I mean, this feels like a, a an important moment. Um, certainly, you know, we've seen other martial arts films. There's no shortage of, of martial arts films out there from, you know, obviously. Yeah, and they're working on another Kung Fu Panda. I didn't yeah, know about this. They are. Nobody told me about this. Yeah. Well, oh, you got right. the shoes. You told me. Yeah, I got the Come shoes. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it... it this kind of feels um, like like it, it matters in a really important way because, you know, as, as you pointed out, you know, this is a Marvel movie. Like, this is very much, it. you know, it's that attention, it's that money, it's that everything. Everybody knows a Marvel movie. Yeah, at this point, yeah. And, you know, Shang-Chi gets to be part of that, which means, in extension, it kind of becomes, mm -hmm. you know, something that you could be a part of in a lot of ways. And, and that's towards the end of the film, you know, when Wong comes and gets them and they're talking about the rings and origin and, like, what do they know about them? Um, and that's kind of the thing, too, you know. You, you start out, you see uh, Katie and Shang-Chi. They're just valets. They grew up knowing each other. They're just doing their day-to-days. They karaoke. They just have fun, you know. Um, they don't have a solid career path, but they're happy. They're living their lives. Mm -hmm. And now, all of a sudden hey, hello, now you're part of the team. Mm -hmm. Now you have these magical uh, weapons and you mm -hmm. know um, some of this stuff. You discovered this. Uh, well, you, you know, you went to this other dimension. Mm -hmm. You're part of it now. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, maybe they'll still be valets. I don't yeah. know. But now they're also going to be um, 
helping out the world. Yeah. And Bruce Banner like puts it well, like welcome to the circus, kids. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love. There's like one little quick thing before we uh, sign off here. There's like a little beat when Wong comes and says, "Do you still have the rings?" And Shang Chi's like, "Yes." Like he had to remember really quickly. Like, do I still have them? And that felt like a really good, like very much in character with who he was. Uh, you know, um, in, in this movie, like, it's just kind of funny to be like, oh, yeah, those incredibly powerful ancient weapons, I do still have those. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> and maybe, I, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but I kind of read it that way. I like I, I like that particular bit. I don't know. Um, anyway, yes, so the more we talk about this, I think um, it, it feels like this is one of the better movies uh, in the, the Marvel pantheon. Um, certainly a lot of stuff to talk about, and, 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 and frankly, in ways I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was a really fun movie. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um, based on the previews, I thought that it just like took place in San Francisco. I really mm-hmm. thought that we were going to see Ant Man or yeah. Wasp, but um, yeah. And also, just like how bad does Iron Fist look now? I mean, it was never good, but now it's like, oh wait, we can actually do this right, you know, with an actor. So um, you, you saw the drama about um, the stunt coordinator for Iron Fist basically said that whatever the guy's name who plays Danny Rand never wanted to actually do the stunts or do any of the work or train or anything like that. But um, the woman who played Colleen Wing did, and that's why she's so much better at it than he is. Um, but now we actually like have people taking it seriously. So we have that martial arts corner of the Marvel Universe better represented. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I look forward to talking with you about Shang-Chi 2 whenever that comes out. Yeah, and if anybody, you know, seen the film or is going to watch it... Um hit us up. We'd yeah. love to talk about your opinions, what you thought of the film. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming up here with me and talking about stuff and putting to recording some of these conversations we have driving around uh, every day. So, uh, love having you on here. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, so I'm glad we finally did. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you very much for being on Serious Fun, Tank. You're welcome, honey. And that will do it for another episode of Serious Fun. Serious Fun is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer is Ryan Martin. The production manager is Kate Farley. Uh, audio edited and produced and all that good stuff by me, Dr. Brian Carr. Uh, and I do want to, again, thank our graphic designer, uh, Kimberly Vlees, for the fantastic podcast art that you heard, that you see on the show. Special thanks again to our guest today, uh, Peng Yang, for sitting down and sharing with us her insight and expertise on this film and her experience. Uh, it was just a tremendous treat to talk to uh, my wife on a podcast. It's great. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Serious Fun on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go over to the website at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast to check out past episodes and all of the other Phoenix Studios shows. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Carr. Thank you for listening. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, please visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.